the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We have a couple of great interviews today. Chef Andrew Gruel will join us, and he is uh, he always makes me smile. He's a great guy, great chef, and a great guy. Does nice things for a lot of people. He will join us. Also, Joe Johnston, my friend Joe Johnston, who has become a kind of I don't know, a conversation partner. I go to lunch with him every couple of weeks. He's a wonderfully um, bright man, and he wrote the book, The Decline of Nations. Well, he's got an essay out uh, that is an update on that book. The book was published in 2020, but I think he probably finished writing it late in 2019. So it's a couple of years old, and he's got some observations on what's happening in the country right now. So we'll talk with Joe Johnson. And don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Anytime you want to follow up and listen to one of these interviews we have, we put them over there as standalone links. And also, if you go there and sign up for the um, uh, daily email, we call it the Daily Wink. What you need to know, W-Y-N-K, the Daily Wink. What you need to know, you sign up there. If you just go to uh, ProAmericaReport.com and sign up uh, there, put in your thing. We, we don't rent your email list. We don't rent the email list. We don't give it to anybody. We don't sell it, nothing. We just, every day, Monday through Friday, we send an email out. It goes out at 8 a.m. East Coast, which is 5 a.m. Pacific time, and you get it in your inbox. It's a couple of links, a couple of stories, what I think is the most important issue of the day, what you need to know. All right, that's the wink. Well, our first segment is called the same thing. And so here today, let me tell you, it's insane. It's actually insane. I did an interview, a television interview on RT America, the uh, Russian version of BBC in America. And I was paired off with a woman whose name I forget, but she suffice to say she was an African-American woman activist. And she was all fired up to defend the fact that the uh, Biden administration, the State Department, has issued its first passport With the gender marking X, meaning none. You're not telling anyone what you are, male or female, X. I think that's what it means. I'm not even sure. But this was part of what is called the gender strategy that the Biden administration uh, released a day or two ago. uh, 42 pages, a national gender strategy. I think that's the right title. I looked at it briefly. Here's the thing I want to tell you, what you need to know. As I I, I was interviewed on this uh, segment, probably about eight to nine minutes on a segment, I said my first question, I said, it's just it's just plain silly for the world to see us spending our time with a gender strategy. We, we look silly. We look it's like when someone is focusing on the wrong priorities. It just looks it looks silly. It looks it, it doesn't look funny. Funny is something you laugh at. It's silly is something that doesn't make sense and is kind of off the, the, the target. And you could be a little more cynical and say it's, you know, strange. But I, I prefer silly. I said I said that in, the, in this. I said, you know, the idea that we have. The border being overrun. We can't get our troops home from Afghanistan safely. We can't get the people. The State Department has quietly admitted there's about 400 people still stuck in Afghanistan. We can't get to the bottom of the Wuhan virus. We can't get to, we got COVID facing our country. We've got inflation facing our country. We got all these things happening. And the Biden administration is spending time and resources to roll out a gender, a national gender strategy. Seriously? 
It's silly. Well, the woman that I was having this conversation with, she was on the left, I was on the right, I guess, and she jumped in. And she said, oh, I don't know how you can call something silly. This is all about intersectionalism and the, the overlap. And the, and the, uh, the, the host was uh, Scotty Nell Hughes. And she said, Scotty said, uh, wait a second, but how does all this fit the gender strategy? Why is climate change in there? And the woman went on. She said, it's intersectionality. Intersectionality is the overlay here that everything is connected, that your oppression is linked in all these ways. And then she said. Think of, if you if you just think of yourself an African American lesbian who's handicapped, she's not going to have the same opportunities and and going to be impacted by the fact that jobs are being impacted by the climate. And when she finished, Scotty No Hughes turned it over to me, and I said, "Okay, I revise my comments to say what was just said out loud. It should have been on a Saturday Night Live skit. It's actually insane. It's insane for people." in think tanks, in the White House, in the salons of power to get paid lots of money to talk about this stuff, to think about this stuff. It's insane. It's it's actually destroying our kids. It's confusing our people. And it's actually got a, an insanity component to it. Intersectionality. And the woman's example was a lesbian, African-American a handicapped person. And I said, you know, and she said, Flint, Michigan. Oh, that's what he said. In Flint, Michigan, the water there is is poisoned and it's disproportionately poisoned and, and, and used disproportionately by poor people. And, and so a black uh, lesbian handicapped woman in Flint, Michigan. And I said, hold on a second. Intersectionality sounds like it's only applicable in the direction of the left's priorities. Because what about this intersectionality? How about a white man in his 50s, that counts as older, I think, who is out of his job in Flint, Michigan, because Wall Street and Washington caved to China? How about that? Why doesn't that intersectionality get to fit? And the answer is because these people, and by the way, they're not actually insane. What they say sounds insane. What they're doing is tearing the country apart because what they want to do is pick and choose who gets to be intersectionally woven together to favor them. So you have to go and seek the opportunity to help people that are designated intersectionally important by people like that woman and now by the White House. And I have to say, just as I, I, this is way, this is probably going to sound like I'm giving Joe Biden too much credit, but I'm not. I'm going to say this though. Joe Biden doesn't want this stuff. This is not something he cares about. All he cares about is being president and, be, and power. He was a senator. But this is not a, I mean, this is not something that normal people care about. They just, he's being led around by Susan Rice, Lisa Monaco, these people. And, and frankly, there's only a certain, there's a certain point you cannot, I cannot read their heart. But I can say that if you are rolling out a national gender strategy and you are trying to tell the American people, this is what's important. It's so disconnected from what is truth it truly is destructive. And insofar as the media and others help to amplify this and try to sh shape what we believe and think, you are truly destroying not just people's lives, you're destroying the fabric of how we can live together. And because people are persuaded by the White House, if somebody puts out a gender, uh, a, a national gender strategy from the White House, it has influence. That's why they do it. That's why they do it. And, uh, and let's be clear. As you're watching them fight over whether they can pass a huge uh, spending boondoggle, 
there's winners and losers that they're getting ready to pick inside spending, inside regulatory agencies. And if you're a big business or a big wealthy guy or an influential maker, or here's one other one, the elite universities, you will get on the right side of the White House doing a gender strategy, guaranteed. And as I tell you all over and over again, what you need to know is if you don't think that a gender strategy, a national gender strategy will be abided by by a whole bunch of people and a bunch of institutions, you're not paying attention because that bunch of people and institutions get what from the government? They get a break, they get money, they get access, and you just have to look at that filter. And that's what they're up to. It's, it's, it, it truly is insane. And people need to start calling it insane. It's insane to believe that you can have a gender strategy that allows all this gender fluidity. This is insanity. This is as, you know, Abigail Schreier, her book, um, um, oh, it fails me, the, um, uh, her, her book on transgender. She interviewed a bunch of transgender folks. I'll, the name will come back to me. Um, Harm is in the title. Abigail Schreier's book, when, when you talk to her, she says at a certain point, this is abuse. She's not talking about transgender. She's talking about the cult of irreparable damage. That's what it's called. Irreparable damage by Abigail Schreier. And she interviewed all kinds of transgender and youth. And she said it's targeted on on, on girls who are particularly uh, susceptible to the influence. And they're doing irreparable damage. And she said it's a kind of abuse. It's a kind of cult. And she goes out of her way to say, by the way, that she's not particularly a conservative on some of those issues. She said, I'm not I'm not saying for adults I should judge everyone. She says, not me. I got a different opinion than her. But she says, as to these kids, that's what we're doing. When the White House is rolling out a national gender strategy, they're not maybe you and I, if you're listening to this, are not going to be damaged. But lots of people will be. Lots of people will be. And that's a massive, massive problem. And what you need to know is it's intentional. Their insanity is not insane to them. It's insane to us to hear it. We think it can't be serious. It's not insane to them because what you need to know is they are ready to destroy the conventions, the institutions that have made this country and made civilization. We're talking about Western civilization, the family, churches, communities. They're all for hyphenating America and, and cutting us. The hyphen is a cut. It cuts us to pieces. That's what they're doing. That's what you need to know. All right. We got to run. We'll be back. Got great interviews today. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. My old friend, he's not, a, well, my new friend over the last year or two, but a guy I have lunch with about once a month is Joe Johnston and Joseph F. Johnston Jr., to be more exact. His book was published last year by uh, uh, Republic Book Publishers. It's called The Decline of Nations, Lessons for Strengthening America at Home and in the World. It's excellent. I've bought a couple copies extra and sent them to people, and, and it's really timely, so timely that uh, Joe just published, he's got an essay that he's publishing. I don't know if he's announced where it's going to go, but uh, on sort of updating the book. Uh, The title is The Decline of the United States, and he's talking about what he's seen since the book was published a year ago. And uh, it's a fascinating topic, fascinating issue, and a fascinating man. Uh, Joe Johnson, welcome to the program. Welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you very much, Ed. Glad to be with you. So when you say um, The Decline of the United States, you're writing an essay about this, uh, only a year ago you had the book. I guess it was probably a year and a half ago that you would have been put the bu- put the book into the publisher. So it's a couple years since you put the last word in this book. How much has life changed in America since 
you finished your book, The Decline of Nations. A lot has changed, Ed. I mean, 2020 was a, a really active year and not, a, not active in a good direction. We had massive uh, uh, unrest in the cities, uh, a lot of damage, uh, riots, looting, etc. And uh, there was a continuation of the unfavorable trends that I talk about in the book, including, for example, vast government extravagance and, and huge spending. Uh, and that, that is continuing today much worse than it was before. You have a federal government now, the Biden administration is proposing to spend on top of the trillions that have already been spent in the last couple of years, uh, an additional 1.2 trillion in so-called infrastructure spending, which is mostly not really infrastructure, and 3.5 trillion in social welfare expenditures, uh, child care, student loans, rental assistance, and many other types of welfare spending, that's going to be chopped down somewhat by Congress, but this is on top of a $28 trillion debt, federal debt. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a new record, and those are numbers that are just absolutely staggering. How can you possibly repay those kinds of numbers? Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking with Joe Johnson, and I'm looking at your essay, and and uh, and a lot of that's in there, and I'm, I, I'm I will make sure to link it on social media. But I want to go to the section you and I have talked about offline a number of times, and that's American culture. So it's a heading yeah. in this essay you've written, which is a few thousand words. And so in the beginning of this, um, this is the first sentence of that section uh, of this essay, which is all you write about this in the book. During the first two thirds of the 20th century. Joe Johnson writes, the United States still had what w could be described as a common culture. Joe, the question I have is, can you have a nation when you have such rapidly fragmenting common culture? I don't know. You and I will sit at a table and have a meal together and we will recognize in ourselves, our families, our, our aspirations, our, our histories, a common culture. But I think it's so uncommon now. I mean, can you can you sustain and, and can you fix what looks like, uh, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall? Can you fix it? Well, that's a great question, Ed. Great question. Uh, I am afraid the answer is that it's going to be very difficult and it's going to take a radical reshaping of the culture. We had a culture uh, where there was a general in up until the really the end of the 20th century, there was a general acceptance of traditional moral and religious values, including personal responsibility, uh, respect for law and order, and so forth. And that began to change in the late 20th century into a culture that's really uh, called, called postmodern, that is ruthless, it's, it's devoid of spiritual values, it's a secularized culture where uh, God is largely forgotten, and and uh, a sort of culture of uh, frivolity and 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 libertinism reigns. Uh huh. Uh, Joe, I I can't remember now who I was with. As you know, I talk to you all the time about how I bring this up to people, ra not random, but people I meet, and I say, "What's your perspective?" I think it might have been a friend, a, a new friend who's from Poland, and. Um, 
he made the observation that one of the ways that common culture can be, I told you this when we met the other day, but common culture can be sort of knitted together or rejuvenated is war, a common enemy. The Cold War, whether it was a, you know, it was a third world war of the, of the 20th century, Americans were knitted together. We're, we're for the freedom side and they're for the oppressive side. And in the modern sensibility, I guess it could be China probably is our, our, our enemy in a certain sense, but it, it doesn't look like you can have a, if we have a full on war, if we have a war like Afghanistan, again, you write about it in the essay, it was a debacle. How it ended was emblematic of how at least it was uh, communicated to the American people for the last about 15 years of the 20 year war. But even maybe it was at the heart of the whole performance. But how it was. So it doesn't look like we can have a successful war. And if we have a nuclear war, the whole world is shot. So I, if that's off the table, this friend of mine said, I'm not sure what's uh, what's on the table. Uh, and, and that's what I wonder. I mean, you're seeing people uh, protest at the school board about the basics, not not about like something complicated, like what is federalism? How does a republic work? No, it's just about the basics of do we have a history or not? Well, that's a, a that's a great question, too. And of course, this is an old question for philosophers. Uh, William James wrote a book. Uh, early in the 20th century called The Moral Equivalent of War. And William James recognized, as many philosophers have throughout the ages, that the key to a strong society is discipline. And war brings you discipline. The, the, mm. the population comes together in a disciplined fashion in order to fight the enemy. What, what James recognized and what I recognized, and I think uh, most philosophers have recognized, is you need the moral equivalent of war. That is something that will discipline people uh, to disregard their personal ambitions and to look toward the common good. And that takes mm. some kind of, if not a foreign enemy, a domestic enemy, or at least something that people can recognize as a threat. Yeah. It, um, are, are you uh, optimistic today? Uh, I am somewhat pessimistic, I've, I've got to tell you, although I'm optimistic in the sense that the American people have been very resilient over our history. We have overcome lots of lots of serious problems, including a civil war, including uh, recessions, including a couple of world wars, and we've come out of it, in each case, stronger than when we entered it. Now the question is whether we have that resilience and whether we have that discipline to overcome the present problems, the present threats, which are a rootlessness and a lack of spirituality and, uh, and, and an absence of the, the courage, fortitude, and prudence that are necessary to a strong society. Again, we're talking with uh, Joe Johnston. His book is called, is named The Decline of Nations. Uh, came out in 2020. Lessons for Strengthening America at Home and, and uh, in the World. And uh, I, I should underline, it's Republic Book Publishers. But I, the, the beauty of this book is that you, uh, he spends the first, uh, about half of the book, and he talks uh, about Rome and Britain, maybe a little less than half, about a first third, uh, Rome and Britain, and uh, and then goes to America and, and, and talks about it. So it's, it's really educational in the history. Um, but uh, you, you wrote this essay just as, as in, here, in this month. In October, uh, because in part you saw things um, uh, differently two years after you'd finished maybe f writing that book. What's the role of the, well, let's say it differently. We are now seeing fairly clearly 
failed leadership in the presidency. Putting aside the politics of it, this is just not a man who has stepped up to the job. This is not someone where you say Joe Biden really stepped into the job. He was able to communicate. He was able, even if it was, again, we disagreed on his policies. No, it's just a failure of leadership profoundly. Um, and, and I guess some people on the left right. or center or whatever would say Trump was a failure. But let's just focus on Biden. We're living in this you know, rapidly deteriorating confidence in the president of the United States, Joe Biden. How badly are we, you know, is our culture and our chances when you don't have leaders who you at least see competence and seriousness of purpose? That is an extremely important point, Ed. The leadership of Biden uh, since his inauguration has been basically an abject failure. His management of, of the Afghanistan debacle is a great example. He just withdrew. He just pulled the troops out without letting our allies know and created a total chaos. I mean, that's an example. His financial management, as I talked about previously, has been totally irresponsible. Uh, chaos on the border mass illegal immigration. He's done nothing whatever about that. Inflation is picking up rapidly. The crime wave that we had in the 2020 and still exists in many cities, there's an energy crisis that we're facing right now that's due to the fact that uh, Biden has an anti-energy policy. He killed the, 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 the Keystone Stone XL pipeline. He stopped drilling in, in, uh, on federal land, etc. These vaccine mandates, which are absolutely useless, have crip- are crippling the economy. Uh, and to pay for all the massive spending spree, uh, he's gonna, you're going to have to see big tax increases which are going to impair the economy. I mean, this is a few of the things that have happened under this inept leadership. Yeah, it is. Um, it's uh, it's ex- extraordinary to see. That's a whole section in this essay by Joe Johnston, too, by the way, is on uh, the leadership crisis. All right, Joe, I got to run. Unfortunately, I will. Um, we'll have you back on again. I, I'm glad you're writing still. And I look forward to uh, you and I breaking bread again soon. Thank you for your time, sir. Pleasure to talk to you. Ed. Enjoyed it. OK. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Chef Andrew Gruel. You've seen him all over the place. He's a pretty famous guy now, but I like talking to him. Every time I talk to him, he um, he has lots of things, lots of opinions, but he also is promoting what is called the 86... Now, let me get it right, Chef Andrew. Is it the 86 uh, restaurant? Uh, uh, it's 86struggle.com, but is the official title of the... Uh, of the entity 86 yeah the 86 struggle which helps support those restaurant workers who are out of work during this terrible time that's uh, that's what i want to make sure to highlight it raised a ton of money uh for folks to help them so how are you chef andrew gruel hey i'm doing well thank you so much for having me and uh yes that is the organization where you know it's funny we went through a little bit of a lull because there were more jobs than there were workers available so we weren't yeah. necessarily engaged but i will tell you this now that workers are being let go based on their health decisions we're getting a lot more inquiries because people are just being cut out of cut out of the workforce 
Yeah, and uh, we should say Chef Andrew Gruel, of course, is a uh, Food Network's food truck face-off. His uh, his own uh, uh, business is uh, Slapfish, uh, seafood restaurant franchise out in California. And so, uh, Andrew, Chef Andrew, I got I got you in my head. I got an email from one of the folks that is, works with you saying, uh, "What in and out Burger?" I mean, I know it is a California deal because my wife grew up in L.A. and we always eat it when we get there. But In-N-Out Burger, I mean, they suddenly decided to take a stand. Um, is In-N-Out Burger, you know, you think of um, Chick-fil-A. They sort of have had a, a sort of um, a, a way of, uh, of being in business. I think, it, I think they describe it as Christian, but generally just, you know, closed on Sundays, very family friendly. In-N-Out Burger, I never recognized it. How, did, has this corporation been someone that has been sort of into this freedom thing? Because they took a stand on uh, not being the police, as they said, for the government on vaccinations and other things. And it's been extraordinary to see. Yeah, so In-N-Out Burger, which, of course, uh, you know, is the West Coast titan in the burger space. It is a family-run business, generations, multiple generations. They are very community-oriented, very family-oriented. So, you know, allow that to define their, uh, you know, kind of the, the framework through which they think. But really what they've said is, you want to put people at the door, go ahead and put people at the door. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do the job of the government, nor do we agree with that, but we're not going to get involved in this. It's um, so and has there been a backlash? I mean, it's California. You would think that California would, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I always tell people there's 40 million people in California and there's about 15 million conservatives, but there's 25 million liberals, it seems. I mean, has there been backlash against them? Yeah, nope. Uh, you still see the lines <laughs> that stretch all the way down the street everywhere throughout California. It's hilarious. You know, at the end of the day, the people that say that they're going to cancel or they're not going to go to a particular business, they don't do that especially a business like In-N-Out Burger, which sells a fresh-made, never-frozen, you know, gargantuan, you know, crave-worthy, finger-licking good burger for like $3. So I'd love to see how the California liberals drop that off of their their, uh, weeknight menu. No way. Uh, by the way, if you want to learn more about uh, Chef Andrew Gruel and his work and his things at Chef Gruel, G-R-U-E-L dot com also. But uh, I will um, I'll make sure to uh, continue to highlight your work with the 86 Restaurant Struggle, 86struggle.com. Um, how did you become because, uh, you know, most business people. They say, hey, I'm, I'll have my opinions. I'll make them known in a certain setting. I may support certain causes. You've been willing and able and successfully do it. I mean, you succeed at having an opinion. Not always right wing by any means, but I mean, certainly uh, counter to the culture. It, I mean, first of all, how'd you get the gumption to do that? Is that who you've always been? And how do you walk that line where you don't end up yourself sort of you don't seem to suffer the cancel culture and you're even in California? That's a great question. Um, And, you know, every day is a different story. So who knows? But I will say this. Look, (laughs) you know, you you can have opinions and you can be rational. Right. It seems that we've lost the ability to be rational or or to even take logic into consideration without attacking somebody else. None of this is personal. At the end of the day, it's just our opinions, our experiences as independent restaurant owners and entrepreneurs bundled up into stories and sound bites, which perhaps could counter the traditional narrative, but at least suggest a, an outcome that is beneficial to not, not me, but to other people, right? So there's no self-serving right. interest here other than just me being true to what I believe is right. That, that is to some degree self-serving, 
But if you go back over the 18 months that I've been a loudmouth and you look, you know, we've been out there speaking on behalf of, of other people, speaking on behalf of the, the silent, um, you know, faction that is unable to speak out. And of 10 years in the restaurant industry, uh, working 18 hours a day, seven days a week, um, you know, being away from the family many times without making money. We don't make money in the restaurant business. Uh, you know, if anything, this is this is a this is a being your own boss and the ability to speak out like this is a reward much better than money. Uh, we're talking with uh, Chef Andrew Gruel, and his his uh, Twitter feed is always fun too. He's at, at Chef Gruel. Uh, I go on there, and between the pizzas, and then uh, I won't comment on the Krispy Kreme one today because it, it it made me laugh. But I, it's almost too much for me to take the, the uh, tweet, retweet uh, the image. But uh, but I also, the, what's the history of your piling? When you show these pictures of sandwiches, and like the one I said a couple days ago, still piling. What's the story here? I, I guess I haven't been an early enough a Chef Andrew Gruel follower. Is that one of your signatures that you pile up these sandwiches because man they look good yeah you know i mean it's all about to me you know kind of food photography or food porn as they say it's it's all about <laughs> abundance so you can kind of capture these sandwiches you know and the cross section with the sauces you can see the colors you can you can almost smell it and taste it and you got to really pile it on right do people right. come up you know kind of come down to me they're like how am i supposed to actually eat that and your food is so indulgent. And it's like, well, no, the food is indulgent for the purposes of this platform. We, we make it a lot more manageable when we, when we prepare it in-house. But, um, you know, this is just another mechanism by which we can kind of, you know, market some of these ingredients. Uh, we're talking with Chef Andrew Gruel. And last question, which goes back, I, I got myself excited looking at your Twitter feed, and I, I should have stayed on, on message there, because when I see what you're doing with the um, with 86 Restaurant Struggle, helping those workers that are out of work, you were doing that before the COVID uh, health freedom you know, issues where people are getting fired because of uh, their, their health freedom. So you were doing that just when the, the pandemic hit. And I watch all this stuff, and your success, you're kind of the American dream, meaning you're saying, hey, look, I'm just going to figure out how to make things work for me. I'm going to try it. I'm going to succeed and fail. I'm going to work seven days a week. I'm 24 hours a day for a while. I'm going to do things with my family. It feels like that message, if I can say, is the one we need more of. No matter what your politics are, just that you can make it. It's America. And you don't have to worry about the government. You don't have to wait for somebody to give you the signal. You just can do it. Is, is that your story? And is that what you worry is, is, is sliding away? That, yes, and thank you very much. Um, you're correct, and I am worried about that sliding away because what's happening concurrent with the hot topics of today, which are, of course, supply chain issues, inflation, right? All of the right. things that were supposed to be transitory, which are not, which have effectively held the economy and many Americans hostage and then throw COVID into that is a just not an intentional distraction, but in many times is a distraction to what's also occurring in many states, and that's these regulations that are piling up one after another that are, I believe, put there and encouraged to be there by larger corporations to keep the small guys out, to get rid of the American dream so that everybody then just kind of goes back onto the government dole, you know, that the, the, those kind of nine-to-five government-style jobs, and they don't try and branch out and break out on their own independently. You know, look at California. They're banning commercial gas. They're banning uh, natural gas. They're banning um, gas use in landscaping equipment. So now you've got to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars into these electric, into this new age electric run equipment materials, which these small guys, they don't have the money for that. 
and then that pushes out the small guys, and the big guys can do it because they've got cash on the sideline. That's what's happening here, and it's scary because it is the destruction of the American dream. It's a transfer of wealth from Main Street to Silicon Valley, and it's happening so rapidly because of the pandemic that it's almost done. It's almost gone you know, from 0 to 80% before we even noticed it was happening. We're uh, talking with Chef Andrew Gruel, and uh, again, uh, you can make sure to uh, look up and, and support 86struggle.com, where he's helping uh, uh, out-of-work uh, restaurant workers, both from the pandemic and now from the crisis of uh, healthcare freedom. Uh, one last question, which is half serious, half kidding. I like to start thinking about Thanksgiving now. I, like to th- I love Thanksgiving. And I noticed uh, a tweet that Thanksgiving ingredients are way up this year, inflation. And, and this is a serious thing. And in the restaurant business, you told me before, we had you on a few months ago, when inflation kicks in in a restaurant you're passing that on fast because if you have to pay 50 cents more for a loaf of bread there's nowhere to go the margins aren't there what's what are we are we are we headed towards thanksgiving with uh some real inflation that people will feel yeah 100 percent. everything is up double digit percentage wise there's not a single ingredient that is in the single digit increases everything is up turkey propane gas seasoning salt pepper you name it oil you know cooking oil everything uh so we are now, the dollar is not really going that far. There's still, there's billions of dollars being dumped on the market every single day, whether it's the Fed buying back mortgages, whether it's, you know, more stimulus programs. And then obviously the pending multi-trillion dollar infrastructure bill, which is just going to be more money into the economy. You know, we joke, everybody knows inflation is just, you know, a ton of money chasing too few goods. And in the headlines is we don't have supply, right? That's the definition of too right. few goods. And then the next headline right. is, about some government program. Right, right. It's uh, it's uh, it is amazing to see. I mean, it's so it's if you watched it and, and had any sense, you'd say this is uh, crazy. But uh, I, I think I wonder about these moments where people bump along and they think, well, and in fact, my son said it the other day. I got the car filled with gas. I was down to like nothing, running on fumes. Filled the whole thing up. It was like eighty dollars. And my son said, he's twelve years old. He said, that that's a lot. And I said, yeah, you're right. It's a lot. It's about 30 percent higher than it was. But sometimes it's a trigger event. Like you get to Thanksgiving and someone tells you the turkey costs 35 percent more than it was. Suddenly people go, what's happening here? It's, it, it sort of becomes a fake because, as I've heard it said. So, all right, listen, Chef Andrew Gruel, thank you very much. Uh, and I will make sure to put up on social media all over the place the good work you're doing. We appreciate it very much. Uh, have a great uh, have a great uh, season here. And we'll look forward to hearing from you again. You too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, Chef Andrew Gruel, everybody. Again, I'll put up on social media all of his, uh, all the places you can find him, Instagram, Twitter, and especially the 86struggle.com. It's important stuff. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The Statue of Liberty is probably the most identifying symbol of America. It's almost like a religious shrine for some Americans. Today is the anniversary of its dedication on October 28, 1886. A gift from France, it was built by Gustave Eiffel, the builder of the Eiffel Tower, and designed by Auguste Bartholdi, who wrote this about the Statue of Liberty, and I quote, The statue was born for this place, which inspired its conception. May God be pleased to bless my efforts and my work, and to crown it with success, the duration and moral influence which it ought to have. 
On the Statue of Liberty's 50th anniversary in 1936, President Franklin D. Roosevelt stated, The Almighty did prepare this American continent to be a place of second chance. Millions have found freedom of opportunity, freedom of thought, freedom to worship God. President Dwight Eisenhower stated in 1954, The statue represents a nation whose greatness is based on a firm, unshakable belief that all of us mere mortals are dependent on the mercy of a superior being. When the Statue of Liberty was relighted after a restoration, President Ronald Reagan said in 1986, I've always thought that God had his reasons for placing this land here between two great oceans. The Statue of Liberty memorializes the unique liberty we enjoy in America. It has nothing whatever to do with immigration. It is most unfortunate that people who had nothing to do with this great gift from the French were allowed to paste a plaque on the base of the statue with a quotation that has misrepresented the statue as an invitation to open immigration. The statue has nothing to do with immigration. Remember, it is the Statue of Liberty, not the Statue of Immigration. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have to say, it's time for me to remind you how incredibly wonderful it is to have all these great guests and how you can go and listen to uh, all these interviews over at ProAmericaReport.com. You can go over there and you can uh, listen to them again. And it's just great to have these guests. Andrew Gruel, Chef Andrew Gruel, amazing guy, and Joe Johnston. Uh, really important stuff. So, all right, let's wrap it up. Today, let me show you how the narrative machine uh, worked and how the gods of baseball, uh, the god of baseball, uh, whips back to punish the narrative machine. Remember, remember, when Georgia passed a common, well, 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 let me say, I was going to say a common sense election bill, but when Georgia passed a law, passed through their legislature, signed by their governor, what we would call the will of the people, that they elect those people to the Georgia State House. They elect the governor who has to sign the bill. And it was an election bill about making sure that the election went well. When they passed that earlier this year, the narrative machine went into overdrive. You had the Department of Justice saying this is an outrage. That's big government. You had the media, big media saying this is an outrage and it must be stopped. This is taking away the vote from people. You had big tech jump in. All of them saying it's the end of the world. Georgia passed a law. And then you watch the narrative machine. One of their favorite things to do is when the narrative machine gets pumping, they force big corporations, big institutions. Sometimes it's higher ed, but big corporations can be nonprofit higher ed into doing their bidding. 
So Major League Baseball, why would Major League Baseball care to cave in to the big narrative machine? Because big government holds the antitrust exemption that baseball uses. The owners of baseball have an anti to have a tr- have a monopoly on baseball. Yeah, and they and they have a privileged position and they have they have tax breaks and they're rich dudes. And the last thing they want to do is get crossways with the narrative machine. They have you know, look what's happened in the NBA when a couple of players, instead of rolling over for communist China like LeBron did, they stood up to communist China. I'm thinking of uh, Cantor, this guy uh, from uh, Boston Celtics, as well as um, uh, Morley, the GM in uh, Philadelphia now. But baseball, Major League Baseball said, no, no, we may we will not do the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in this horrendous state of Georgia. And they sent it out to Colorado where the marijuana is flowing and the LGBTQ rights are, are, thr- are thrusting forth. And the voter protection, because it's all Democrats, is, is protected. And there you have it. Well, what happened after all this time? Turns out the World Series, which will be at least two games, maybe three games, could be, I guess it's only the most it could be is three games in, in Atlanta, but it certainly will be two. I bet it will be two no matter what. But anyway, Atlanta will host the World Series. The gods of baseball went back on the narrative machine and the power of big government because baseball caved. I love when that happens. And I am 100% rooting for the Braves. I, I want Atlanta to have a parade, a Major League Baseball parade through the state of Georgia and Atlanta and everywhere else celebrating the Braves winning the World Series. That would be great. It would be really, really great. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley, and also to Joanna Spilger for helping book our guests. She books our guests. And you all for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.